Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Curiosity.com. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you'll learn about how you can improve your sense of direction, why the Pied Piper isn't just a fairy tale, and where our planets got their names. We originally ran these stories on May 1st, 2018, and they're so good, we remastered them just for you. Plus, stick around for a brand new recap segment at the end of today's episode to hear our fresh takes on all of today's stories. Let's satisfy some curiosity. Cody, do you have a good sense of direction? Depends on who you ask. Well, a lot of times people think that your sense of direction is just innate, but we wanted to know if you can actually improve your sense of direction. What a sense of direction really is, is just a relationship between lots of different factors, including spatial awareness and accuracy of your mental map and your ability to connect the things you see around you with their location in the world. According to spatial thinking experts, there are a few ways to improve your sense of direction. First, try intentionally registering a visible landmark as an indication of direction. So if you live in Santa Barbara, the mountains are always to the north and the Pacific Ocean is always to the west. Just taking a minute to think about the landmarks that you can use to navigate and then using them will help a lot. But if you can't see landmarks, then remember, the sun rises in the east and sets in the west. So depending on the time of day, you can look where the sun is and you can know which direction that is. If it's cloudy and you're out in nature and you're kind of lost in the woods, you know, there's the old moss grows on the north side of the trees trick. You ever tried that, Cody? I didn't even know that. Yeah, the old Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts thing. Were you a Girl Scout? I was a Girl Scout. I don't know. Yeah. So the only thing is that doesn't happen with all trees. Moss mostly grows on the north side. And if you're in the southern hemisphere, it's the other way around because the angle of the sun is different. All right. So moss north in the northern hemisphere, south in the southern hemisphere. Got it. Right. Of course, most of us use a GPS or a smartphone to get where we're going, but those can actually help you work on your sense of direction, too. Look up and pay close attention to landmarks when you're traveling so you can find your way back without your device. Or try taking different routes to places like work or the grocery store, places you go all the time. That'll give you a better overall sense of where you're located in relation to the rest of the world. Cool. I'll give you an update if my sense of direction improves. And by me, I mean my wife will tell you she feels like it's improved. <laughs> Please do. So, Cody, you, you know about the Pied Piper, right? Yeah. Vaguely, it's a fairy tale. OK, well, here's a quick refresher. So there's this German town that's dealing with a terrible rat problem. Enter the Piper. He agrees to rid the town of rats in exchange for a large fee. And he does that by playing his little pipe until the rodents come out and follow him. Then he leads them away and returns to collect his money, but the town decides not to pay. So he takes out his pipe and he begins to play again, and this time it's the children that begin to dance and follow him. He leads them to a crack in a mountain which swallows them up forever. Savage. Yeah, it's pretty dark. Well, first of all, what even is a pied piper? Pied is just an old-fashioned way of saying he was dressed in colorful scraps of cloth. And piper obviously refers to the fact that he plays a pipe. You might think it was made up, especially since rats weren't really a problem until the 16th century. And this story was supposed to have taken place in the year 1284. And the mountain is actually a river in some versions of the story. So if it was based in fact, you'd think that they'd just keep that one way or the other. Right. But something happened in 1284 because a stained glass window depicting a magical figure in colorful clothing was commissioned just about 15 years later. And in the town chronicle of Hamelin, where this story is supposed to have taken place, there's an entry in the year 1384 that says, it is 100 years since our children left. 
And some recorded laws from medieval times outlaw music in some parts of town in honor of the victims. What? It's freaky, right? So what happened? So some people think it might have been a dancing plague. That's not unheard of. There are many times in history where a lot of people just have started dancing inexplicably. And it's sort of this psychosis that spreads through the town and everyone's dancing. And some people dance so much that they drop dead. Wait, seriously? Yeah, seriously. But another theory says the kids might have been recruited by a children's crusade. That was when huge groups of kids would be gathered up to defend Christianity and usually weren't heard from again. Crusade with a capital C. Right. The Crusades. Yes, that one. Other theories say the children were victims of a natural disaster or maybe the plague, which might explain the rat motif that popped up later. Because, right, rats and the Black Plague, those are inextricably linked. But it remains one of history's unsolved mysteries with strange kernels of truth. So beware the Pied Piper, I guess. Yeah. That, that's the saying, right? Right. Hide your kids, hide your wife. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember when Pluto was a planet? I absolutely remember when Pluto was a planet. Yeah, good times. You ever wonder why it's called Pluto? Yeah, it's like a Roman thing, right? Not quite. The English names for our five closest neighboring planets came from the Romans, who named them after our gods. But what about Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto? Not so much, because they weren't actually discovered until much later. They were discovered only in the last few hundred years. So Pluto has our favorite story. The existence of Pluto was actually not confirmed until 1930 by astronomers at the Lowell Observatory in Flagstaff, Arizona. The first photographs of Pluto made headlines around the world and hundreds of suggestions poured in for what to name it. They finally got the finalists down to Minerva, Cronus, or Pluto. And Pluto came from an 11-year-old girl from Oxford, England Aww. named Venetia Burney. And she had mentioned the name to her grandfather, who was a librarian, who passed on the suggestion to an astronomy professor he knew. And then the professor cabled the suggestion to his colleagues at Lowell Observatory. Ah, so she was connected. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Connected 11-year-old. All right. It's all about who you know, right? Not what you know. And she was inspired by the Roman god. And the name Pluto was voted on unanimously. Also partially popular because the founder of the observatory was Percival Lowell. His initials are PL. Oh, that makes sense. And after they chose the name, Venetia's grandfather gave her five pounds, British pounds, which is about $450 today as a reward. Wow. It's great for an 11-year-old girl. I'm not sure it's that great for naming a planet. Right. But, you know. Well, she does get to have a planet forever. Like, that is her, the name she named will be there forever. I mean, that's exposure, right? Like, that's, (laughs) that's great. Hey, it's Cody from 2021. We're back to the present. And now we're going to recap the main things we learned today, starting with the fact that you too can improve your sense of direction. Try using major landmarks like mountains or lakes or oceans or monuments to orient yourself. If you can't see landmarks, then pay attention to where the sun is, since it rises in the east and sets in the west. And pay attention to what's around you when you're driving, especially when you're using a GPS. Just listening for those directions and not looking around, no way to learn your way around town. Do you have a special trick for orienting yourself now that you're all moved out of Chicago, Ashley? Yeah, I actually just moved to Asheville, North Carolina, and I'm trying to get the lay of the land. And one thing is my husband really likes driving. He likes to be the driver. And so I haven't had a chance to really drive around. And that's definitely something that I'm going to do because I, I can't get a sense of direction when someone else is driving a car. I don't know. I just like 
I zone out. But running around the city is giving me a lay of the land. And yeah, just just paying attention and doing my own navigating is definitely, definitely the best way to do it. Do you have mountains you can reference? They're everywhere. They're all over the place. Okay. They're not in one location. <laughs> it's not like Chicago where there's where there's one big lake. It's yeah. Just the lake. Exactly. Yeah. Chicago is really nice because the streets are in a grid and there is a lake to the east. Easy. Here, the roads were all designed to go next to rivers. So they're all over the place. It's like Europe. <laughs> <laughs> well, good luck. Thank you. And if you're in my area, send us an email. Let me know where you are, what the cool science stuff is around. You know, welcome me. <laughs> and cool other stuff. You like eat food, too. <laughs> I eat food. Uh, I want to go, you know, kayaking or something. I want to do some nature stuff. Yeah. You know, let me know. We also learned that the Pied Piper may not have been just a fairy tale. The story goes that in the year 1284, the German town of Hamlin was dealing with a rat problem and a colorfully dressed piper played music to get rid of the rodents. But then he didn't get paid, so he played the pipe again, and then the children of the town followed him away. No good. Well, there's a lot of evidence from history suggesting something like this actually did happen, from an entry in village records to the fact that some medieval laws outlawed music in certain areas to honor victims. One of history's weirdest mysteries. Yeah, the dancing plague thing is weird. We've talked about this before on the show, I think. Yeah, it's like a mass delusion or something. Very weird. Yeah. And we learned that Pluto was named by an 11-year-old girl named Venetia Burney. She won a contest held by the Lowell Observatory in Arizona after they discovered the celestial body in 1930. She won a prize of five British pounds, which is worth more than $400 today. And we also mention Uranus and Neptune in the original story, but we don't actually mention where they got those names. So Uranus got its name from German astronomer Johann Ellert Bode, whose observations help establish, you know, Uranus as a planet. And he named Uranus after an ancient Greek god of the sky because he said that Saturn was the father of Jupiter. So the new planet should be named for the father of Saturn. But also, weird thing, Uranus is also the only planet to be named after a Greek god instead of a Roman one. And also around that time, one of Bode's colleagues supported the choice and named his newly discovered element uranium. Fun fact. And then Neptune didn't get its name for a while. It was just referred to as like the planet exterior to Uranus or Le Verrier's planet because Le Verrier is the guy who discovered it. And the first suggestion for a real name was Janus. There's another proposal for Oceanus. But Le Verrier eventually claimed the right to name his discovery and named it Neptune. And soon Neptune became the internationally accepted name. Because back in the day before the International Astronomical Union, basically it was just kind of like, let's see what takes off. Yeah, there's no rules. Right? Because like <laughs> originally one of Uranus's proposed names was to name it after King George. Oh, man. And people outside of Britain were just like, no. No, we're not. We're not doing that. We're not doing that. So good thing. Yes, I'm glad that didn't catch on. That would not have been very fetch. But also, I am happy to see that a lot of different astronomical objects are getting names that aren't Roman or Greek. Like there are a lot of ancient civilizations out there, a lot of living civilizations out there that have a lot of cool names and cool mythology. And, you know, we're spreading it out. I like that. Not to mention Mooney McMoonface. <laughs> yes, not to mention that. <laughs> <laughs>
Our managing editor is Ashley Hamer. Today's writers were Ruben Westmus and Cody Goff, who's also our producer and audio editor. You don't need a good sense of direction to know where to find us. Just come back to your favorite podcast app or curiositydaily.com. And join us again tomorrow to learn something new in just a few minutes. And until then, stay curious. Stay curious.